Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Guys, in a, in a Peanuts comic strip, you guys remember that, Charlie Brown uh, is talking with Lucy, and as they walk home on the last day of school, which we know is coming up for us, Charlie Brown turns to Lucy and says, Lucy, I got straight A's. Isn't that great? Lucy, in her typical fashion, shoots down poor Charlie Brown and says, I don't believe you, Charlie Brown. Unless you show me your report card, I cannot believe you. Now, I thought about that, and I thought, isn't that us? Isn't that really I think, guys, in a, in a lot of ways, we live in such a negative world. Everything's so negative that if somebody is doing something great or they give you some good news, we always find a way to ruin it. We doubt. We don't believe. Oh, well, show me. Sure. I want to be the other guy. I want to be the guy who says, amen. Yeah. Good job, Charlie Brown. But here's the thing, guys. I think we can relate to this. I think we can all relate to Lucy. Why? Because for her, seeing is believing, isn't it? She wants to see it. And most people have to see something before they can believe it. Please allow me, if you will, to ask you a few thought-provoking questions this morning. You go, what's that, Ben? Number one, have you ever felt you missed something big that everyone else seemed to know? You know, you're like, yeah. Or how about this? Have you ever felt like it's hard to believe in something you cannot see, touch, or feel? Have you ever felt that something just couldn't happen? If you've ever felt this way, think about this. You're in good company. How's that, Pastor Ben? Because Jesus' own disciples, including Thomas, felt that way. They felt that way. And today, guys, we get a glimpse of Jesus appearing to his disciples in verses 29 through 33. Thomas isn't there. But one thing we can glean from these verses, and I hope it helps you, is that Jesus' disciples, they were doubters too. Oh, no, no, they weren't stuck with the stigma, the doubting disciples, right? Hey, that's a cool name for a band, isn't it? We're the doubting disciples. You know, John, hey, don't get any ideas, Laurie. In John chapter 20, the Bible tells us this, that Jesus showed them his hands and his side. And so that indicates to us, pulling scripture out of the text, the disciples were struggling with the doubt that Jesus has actually risen from the grave. You're like, wow. And then in verses 24 to 29, we see that Thomas joins the gang, right? There he is with the guys. And he doesn't believe that they've really seen Jesus. Right? You know what it is to be with your posse, and your posse is like, yeah, we've seen it. They're like, yeah, right. I don't believe you. You guys are just pulling my, you're, you got, uh-uh. Uh-uh. That's Thomas. Think about it. Now, one thing that we must file away, that all the disciples doubt it, but Thomas goes into eternity with the nickname Doubting Thomas. What a bummer. What a bummer, right? Because when we get to heaven, you're going to see Thomas. And you're going to be like, are you the one who doubted? He goes, you did too? Yeah, but I wasn't. That's not my nickname, right? That's not my nickname. I was thinking about, I was thinking about the name Doubting Thomas, right? And, and 
I used to think of Thomas in terms of word association. You guys know what I'm talking about? Let me say this. You already said it, but what's the first word that pops in your mind when you hear the name Thomas? Right? That's the first thing. And I used to, I mean, I was like, that's too. Then I, I actually, one day I was teaching children's church in Rio Rancho, and I asked my kids, these are third and fourth graders, and I said, uh, what's the first word that pops in your mind when I say Thomas? Do you know what these guys said? The train. Right? In case you didn't know it, Thomas the train is a fixture among the little ones. So it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different. Well, this morning, church, I'd like to, well, I'd like for us to go beyond the typical stereotypes and get to know the disciples a little bit better as well as Thomas. It's kind of up close and personal. But I I want you to know before we do, beware to look at these guys. Well, it's actually to see yourself. And that's how we can relate. You see, the disciples weren't super Christians. They weren't super spiritual. They were just like you ordinary people, just like you and me, with struggles and doubts and, and being skeptical and, and trying to navigate life. It was a different time, but same people. So by way of reminder, church, remember what we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about proof positive that Jesus was alive. Throughout the Gospels, if you recall, there were 10 appearances after the resurrection. Okay, Luke actually records the disciples on the way to Emmaus, right? The walk to Emmaus, and that's not recorded here. What John does, he focuses on two major ones, okay? We talked about Mary Magdalene last week. She was the first woman to see the risen Lord. And as the day goes on, he will appear to his disciples. And days later, he's going to appear to them. But then Thomas is going to be there. Okay, so that's kind of what's going on. Now, remember, Jesus in showing himself to Mary and the disciples in the gospel of John, as well to everyone else, was proof positive that he was alive. He was alive. Now, going back to last week's sermon, remember, we learned proof positive, number one, if you recall, the folded handkerchief, the folded handkerchief, proof positive that Jesus was alive. Why? Never to die a lonely sinner's death and never to come back to a world that doesn't want him. The folded handkerchief. You're like, okay, I get that. I get that. You see, for Jesus to crumple up the handkerchief, man, he felt welcome. He felt, I felt wonderful here, but... It was folded. And in the Jewish culture, if you folded a napkin, you say, I didn't feel welcome here. I don't want to come back. I don't want to come back. Proof positive number two, we saw two angels. Do you guys remember them? They were proof positive that Jesus was was alive simply because they get to ask Mary, why are you weeping? Mary, why are you crying? And what we learned is you have one sitting at the head and one at the feet. And what we could grasp from that in our everyday life is how to walk in humility. How to walk in humility, right? They weren't fighting. I get to sit at the head. I get to sit at the feet. They don't do that. They, they simply serve with a glad heart. Proof positive number three, Mary Magdalene herself. Jesus appears to her and John writes it down. You, here's the thing. Know that if you want people to, to believe your story back in this culture, you never included a woman. They had no authority. They had no power. You never said, well, listen, uh, I, I remember a story and I told Tiffany about it. There would be, there'd be no credibility in that culture. 
We're, we're a little bit different today because we're equal and, and we should all have credibility and power. But back then, they would never say Mary first. He would say, we went to Simon Peter. We saw John. John saw him. Or he was there. And, and so you see, again, it says, no, 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 no. No, no. Mary Magdalene was the first one who saw him. Well, John, why are you going to write that down? Because it's truth. And Jesus is all about truth. Fourth proof positive is Jesus then speaks to Mary. Right? He asks her why she's crying and who she's looking for. And what I love about this is it's proof positive because he calls her by name. Don't you love that? She's sitting there and she's got ugly cry and snot coming down and she's missing Jesus. And he says, hey, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And she's like, what are you looking for? You know, whatever she's saying, he goes, Mary. And I love that. Why? Because here's the one thing. It's, it, I love when you go, hey, man, I want you to know God. But more importantly, I want God to know you. And I want him to call you by name. Oh, I know God. Really? But does God know you? Do you have a relationship with him? You see, because there's a big difference. There's a lot of people who know God or they know a lot about God. They can call on God. They believe there is a God, but they don't have an intimate relationship. They don't know him. They haven't felt his spirit. And so that's important. Mary, yes, yes. You see the gardener? The gardener wouldn't know her by name. Lady, woman, ma'am. No, Mary, Mary. Proof positive last week. We talked about number five. Born again followers of Jesus today. That's you. Guys, that is proof positive he lives. Right? How else, tell me, how else can we explain the change in your life? How else can we explain that? How can we explain the trajectory of your life was going one way, you met Jesus, and now you're totally going a different way, and your life is, I did that. No, you didn't do that. You can't change. Only Jesus can change you. Only Jesus can change you, and that's proof positive. Why? Because I look at you and I go, Jesus is alive. He's alive. If he's not alive, what are we doing here at 9.30 in the morning? On a Sunday? On a beautiful day? If Jesus isn't alive, Paul says, we should be out golfing. No, Joe. I knew when it came out, I was... But he is alive, so Joe's here. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, today, today we get to see the Savior meet the doubters. So with that as our introduction, let's jump into our text. Guys, let's look at verse 17 as a run and go so we kind of get the feel. Jesus said to Mary, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Notice the instructions. But go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father, your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Now, before we jump on, I wonder what time frame that is. Because, listen, if I'm seeing Jesus and I'm going to hang on to her, I think I'm going to hang on to him just a little bit longer. Jesus says, go tell the disciples, okay, I will. Right now, Lord, whenever you're ready, okay. Just hang on to him. Sometimes she, you probably have to, okay, Mary, Go. Go, okay, but I don't really want to go, Mary. So Mary goes, and she says to the disciples, I found the Lord, verse 19, that's where we pick up our story. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, 
or the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and he said, peace be with you. How many of you have a New King James Version Bible? You notice the B is in italics, which means it wasn't there in the original language. So what he's saying is peace with you. Okay, you just want to mark that down. Okay, so it's Resurrection Sunday, the first day of the week. Later on, Mary. Now notice, Mary finds the disciples and tells them, "I've seen the risen Lord. I've seen the risen Lord." Now I want you guys put yourself in in Mary's sandals. Put yourself in the disciples' sandals. She comes to you and says, "I found Jesus," and the disciples go, "Shh." I would think we'd go, where? I want to find him, show us. And we, without fear, go back to our leader. But they don't. I found it really, really interesting. They don't. Something, do you see it, guys? Something is keeping them from trying to find Jesus. What is it? Well, they're hiding. They were hiding in fear for their own lives. Uh, You kill Jesus, you kill me. I'm not going to go out there. They know this. Brother Jesus said he's going to resurrect. Nobody's given me that promise. And so they're hiding. And they're hiding. Now note, wherever the disciples are hiding, they made sure the door was secure, right? They made sure. If, I mean, can you imagine? They're sitting there and they're, I don't, yeah, I don't know what's going on Sunday morning. Jesus is supposed to resurrect. We ran to the tomb. I don't know. And then you hear a boom, boom, boom. Right? Shh. Don't say a word. And, and again, they're, they're just freaked out, guys. They're freaked out. And John writes, and he says, man, the doors were shut, and they were secure. And the disciples were hiding in fear. Now, Pastor, why do you bring that up? Because I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, listen, let's, let's, let's um, compare that to our lives. I believe that so many times in our lives, that could be us. Go, Pastor, what do you mean? How so? Think about it. In our walks today, there are times when we are more fearful of man than God. We're more fearful of man. Well, like how? Like, what do you mean? Well, the thing about it is that if we're honest, we truly care what people think and we fear what they think and how they're going to treat us and who that is more than anything else than being obedient to God and who God has called us to be. We, we want that. We're, guys, we walk in fear at our jobs sometimes. Does your boss know you're a believer? Well, we're all Christians at our job. Does your boss know you're a born-again follower, no-holds-barred, in-the-pool follower of Jesus? We walk in fear at our homes sometimes. Well, our, our family doesn't believe like we do. But you've got, sometimes, what about with unbelievers? What about with unbelievers? Well, see, Pastor, listen, come here. Let's talk for a minute. Pastor, see, listen, I, I don't really walk in fear, but I just don't want the unbelievers. I don't want to just overwhelm them with who I am about Jesus. You know, I mean, we're just hanging out bros. And No, 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 here's the thing. Sometimes we walk in fear. We walk in fear, and, and we're like the disciples. See, guys, we put a lot of stock in what people think of us, and we don't want to make anybody mad. We don't want to make anybody mad. I also believe, guys, that many people hide. Listen to this. They, we hide not in a room with the door shut, but we hide in a false identity. 
a false identity. Now let that soak in. You go, Pastor, I'm not sure what you mean. A lot of us, a lot of us do. We, we hide in a false identity of who we really are because we're afraid of what people might think of the true us. Can I get a witness? We, we do this. It blows my mind. I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I'm saying that, that sometimes we just not, we don't even know who we are anymore. Because we act one way, one place, and then we act another place, and, and we just don't want to make people mad, and we're afraid. What, and, and I think we just hide in a false identity. And i got to be honest with you, church. At, at times, i got to search my own heart to make sure I'm not trying to be something that's other than who God created me to be. And that's easy to do in the ministry because I'm the pastor, you see. And I have to walk around and say, yes, hallelujah, praise the Lord, brother. And, and I don't want to be that. I just want to be who God made me to be. I was thinking about this at, at, at Josh and Amanda's wedding, right? Because they know I'm the pastor, and I'm out there, and I'm dancing with my granddaughter, and we're having a good time, right? And I'm, I'm dancing. I was wondering if anybody thought, hey, can Christians dance? Right? Should, should, should the pastor be out there dancing? You know what the answer to that? Can Christians dance? Some can, and some can't. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> Just saying, okay? Some can't. But I just want to be, right? I just want to be who God, and I was thinking about this. And, and I bet if we looked at the text, we could, look at the, we could look at the disciples and say, man, you guys are suffering in fear. You're in fear. You're hiding. Hiding and hoping. And I love the way that one pastor put this. Listen to this, and you can jot this down if you write very fast. But he says, the purpose behind the suffering you are going through is to push you into a new freedom from the false definitions of who you are. Let me say that again, guys. The purpose behind some of the sufferings, the hidings, the false identity you're going through is to push you into a new freedom of that false definition of who you are. In other words, God wants us to be authentic. He wants us to be real. The problem is is that Christians are too judgmental on everyone else. You see, you're not supposed to look like that, brother. You're not supposed to act like that, sister. You're not. No, this is who we are. And we want to be authentic and real. And when someone's broken and someone's hurting, brothers and sisters who go, man, I know how you feel exactly. Exactly. You might walk out the door and go, they're judging me. They're going to think I'm a weak Christian. We're going to go, you know what? We need to pray for our sister because I know. I know what that's like. But see, the world says, no, 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 you got to be tough. Yeah, all this stuff. And we, we just need to be authentic. Would you agree? We just need to be real. If we could learn as believers just to be real, not perfect, not saying all the right things, and not, not being politically correct, just real, I think people would say, man, you're more down to earth. You're more authentic. And for you to know that your pastor struggles with things too, it's not a weakness going, my pastor, no, it's just going, yeah, he knows exactly how I feel. He knows what I go through. He knows the struggles. Any pastor up here, any pastor. Guys, when it comes to life, many folks hide in fear of who they really are because they think people won't like them if they knew all the flaws all the mess-ups, all the shortcomings, all the warts, all the pimples. But what I love is Jesus shows up and he says, peace with you. Peace be with you. 
And right here, guys, you can, if you're taking note, jot this down. Right here, the Lord transforms the disciples from fear into courage. From fear into courage. For one thing, notice, he came to them. We do not know where these ten frightened men, you know, met behind locked doors, but Jesus came to them and reassured them, peace be with you. And I love that, right? Because if you're really feeling this message, guys, you know that no matter where you are in fear, Jesus can come to you right now. If you come to church and you're like, praise the Lord, hallelujah, how you doing, brother? And you go home and you're like, oh my gosh, so depressed, I'm so broken. Jesus can show up there. I love that. And what I love is that he comes in and he says, peace be with you peace with you. But you need to understand this isn't the standard greeting. Like we say, hello or good morning. That's not, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying, he's trying to convey more to their hearts that he is the peace. He is the God of peace. That's what he's trying to say. But the problem is, is that they're still in doubt. Notice verse 20. And when he said this, he showed him his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So here's the thing. The text indicates that Jesus said, oh, peace be with you. Let me show you. And I, it blows my mind because we know that, that what Peter and John ran to the tomb. They didn't see Jesus. They saw an empty tomb. And then they went home. So they're probably talking to we saw an empty tomb. But that doesn't know if we're risen. Right? Or don't we die a lot? That doesn't, know, that doesn't mean he's risen. What if somebody stole the body? Those Romans. You know those Romans. Well, it's not only the Romans, but it's the priests. It's the high priest. They probably stole the body. Well, why would they steal the body? And they're going all around and around. Jesus comes and he says, hey, peace be with you. He says, look, look, and they were doubting, and they were doubting, but when they see it, the Bible says, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, and so from here, they go from fear to faith, from fear to faith. Listen, Jesus wants to take you from fear to faith, but you got to let him. He wants to take you from doubt to joy, proof positive that he's risen. What he's doing to the disciples, guys, is he's giving them, listen, tangible evidence that he's real, that he's alive. What would you think? You're in a room. You're huddled with your posse. There you are. You're drinking coffee. Okay, I made that up. But nonetheless, Jesus shows up. I'm thinking a ghost, right? I'm thinking food additives. My mind just exploded. I'm not. What am I seeing? But he says, I'm real, guys. I'm real. And that's the same thing he wants to do. Because you and I, when we meet the risen Lord, we can explain it away all we want. Well, listen, I just was in the hot sun for too long. I don't know. No, when Jesus speaks to you, you know he speaks to you and he's real. He's real. And that's what the text is saying. A tangible, his promises are true. So Jesus said to them again, notice, peace to you. And he says, as the Father sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Church, we got to go do some work. We got to do some work. Absolutely. Why? Because the scene changes just a bit. And we notice in our text that Jesus says, peace be with you. And now he says to them, peace to you. Do you see that, guys? Peace to you. The first peace, jot this down. The first peace is a peace with God based on his sacrifice on the cross. Okay? So the first thing he wants us to do is he doesn't want us to be at war with God anymore. So he says, based on my sacrifice, you can have peace with God. 
That's what he means by the first one. But now he steps in and he says, look at my hands, look at the scars, look at my side. Peace to you. What's the second one mean, Pastor? The second one comes from God, or the second peace of God comes from his presence with us. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the gospel? The first one is that we're at war with God. We're sinners. We're not going to make it to heaven. And he says, peace to you. And all of a sudden, you're like, I'm not at war with God anymore. But what's the peace that I need? Oh, the presence of the living God inside me. That's resurrection power. If you've got nothing from my other messages on resurrection power, the one thing you want to take home is resurrection power gives you peace in life. Even in the midst of a storm, it gives you peace. So he says, guys, I'm going to commission you. I'm going to commission them to take his place as the father's ambassador to the world. How cool is that? Because he's doing the same thing with you. He's, he's commissioned you to take the message. See, see, listen, listen. Church, church, we go, I'm going to church. We come to a building, we have chairs, we have music, we call it church. That's not the church. That's just a building we meet it because he wants to commission us to go out to our jobs. I think about the people you're going to meet tomorrow who need Jesus that would never come here. They don't even know the shopping center exists. And they're going to come in, they're going to go, and you're going to say one word to them. You're going to say, how you doing? And they're going to start crying, and they're going to tell you, my kid is flaked out. I have a prodigal daughter. My husband's wigged out. He's having an affair. And you're going to get all this stuff, and that gives you an opportunity to share Jesus. See, that's the beauty of the church. We get equipped in here, and he sends you out there. And that's what he's doing to his disciples, okay? That's what he's doing, right? And so, and so keep this in mind. The action, the action is personal and individual. And what does he do? He says, he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we have to do some work. Why? Because we know later on, this is, we're going to see later on in Acts that they're going to receive the Holy Spirit in the upper room, tongues of fire, Acts, right? You, you just know that, okay? That was corporately. That was corporate going out. Here he's just individually breathing on them, and he's, it's just more to fulfill his commission. We have the same thing, but you would go, oh, well, I thought the Holy Spirit fell back in the book of Acts when Jesus ascended. He goes, receive the Holy Spirit. Go do my work. Now, he says something very, very interesting that we have to address. Notice what he says. He tells his disciples, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So right off the bat, we go, whoa, does man have the authority to forgive sins or retain sins? What's the answer, church? No, only God has that, right? But you'll have pastors and preachers and men go, and they'll kick people out of their church because they go, listen, I'm holding the, they they take the authority of God. What's the text really saying? The text is saying this. Remember, in context, he's talking about commission. And he's saying this. Remember, we as believers, when we share the gospel, we are actually announcing the forgiveness of sins, not creating it. It's already been created. We're simply announcing it. You go, okay, help me, help me. In other words, when we proclaim the gospel, 
we are in effect forgiving and not forgiving sins, listen, depending on whether the hearer accepts it or rejects it, the Lord as the sin bearer. That's all it is. I go and I'm at the gym and I'm working out and I start sharing the gospel with somebody and he goes, I want Jesus. I want that. And I lead him in a prayer. In essence, with the commission, I'm simply saying, and he's accepting it because of Jesus. I'm just announcing it. But what if he says, dude, you're crazy. Get out my face. I don't want that. That's a good crutch for you. I'm good. He's simply announcing that he's going to keep his sins. You see how it says that, okay? Only God, only God, only God can forgive sins. Aren't you glad we have a God that's forgiven us? Man. So, now now the Savior is going to meet the doubter. We're going to shift over to Thomas. Look at verse 24. Now, Thomas called the twin. So, we know he's a twin. We don't know nothing about his twin. But we know he's a twin. We know he's one of the twelve. He was not with them when Jesus came the first time. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. That's their, that's their cry. We've seen Jesus. We've seen him. Are you kidding me? Look at Thomas's response. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the print of his nails, and put my finger into the print of his nails, and put my hand in his side, help me church, I will not believe. His guys gather together, and he's like, guys, listen up. I've seen Jesus. I've seen him. He's real. He's amazing. And Thomas goes, Psh, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. No, 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 no. We've seen him. He showed us the nails. They're in his It's amazing. Nah. Y'all just playing. I started to think about this, guys. And I remembered that Thomas, listen, Thomas was not present at the first meeting. You guys got that? And I started to think about that. And I wonder how many things we miss by being absent from the local assembly. How many things we miss when we go, ah, I'm going to church today. It's kind of nice out. I don't want to hear Pastor Ben. No, 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 no. Listen, guys, there's so many things we miss, guys, when we just absent. And let me tell you this, listen, you think that coming to church is me talking, you sitting, but it's more than that because when you interact with people, God has given you gifts to share with somebody who really needs it. And, and although you get a lot out of the sermon, God, that's just for me, okay, that's just my own, because you, you put me down just a minute ago. So anyways, you might get more, you might get more from a great conversation out those doors, from somebody who knows what you're really struggling with. Because God has gifted you guys. Okay, I'm going to put a guilt trip on you. You already gone on a guilt trip? Yeah. Then we'll go to Vegas, but guilt trip right now first. We, get miss, we, we miss out when you're not here. We miss out on your gifting. So when you don't come, you're really ripping off the body of Christ. There's a scripture right there. There it is. Okay? You're really ripping off the body when you're not here. Amen. <laughs> now, back in our text. 
they told Thomas all about the nail prints and the side wound, and Thomas just says, mm, unless I actually see tangible evidence, I won't believe. Now, here's my question, guys. I don't know if you caught it. Was Thomas saying he doesn't believe the disciples' report? Because you know how we are with our friends, right? Like, Paul will tell me something about the Lakers. I go, I don't believe it. I don't believe it, right? I don't believe the report. Or is he saying, I don't believe Jesus resurrected? What's his belief, right? Why is that important, guys? Why is it important? Listen, jot this down. What we believe about Jesus determines how we behave. What we believe about Jesus determines how we behave. Well, what happens? I love what Jesus does next. Look at verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas is with them. Way to go, Thomas! And Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. My presence is with you. And notice, first thing he does in verse 27, and he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it to my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Let me stop right there for just a moment. I want you to see the heart of my Jesus. He doesn't chastise Thomas for doubting, for being a skeptical. Why do we do that, church? Because let's be honest, we naturally would assume, Thomas, you spent three years with Jesus... You've walked him. You saw the miracles. You saw people dead, raised to life, Thomas. And then you come in, and, and Jesus comes in. He's peace to you. Thomas, let's talk. But guys, I need to talk to Thomas for just a moment. What's your trip, dude? I've been with you. Yeah, the, you guys are in. Really? That's all he answered. Really? He doesn't do that because we think he would do that with us. He thinks when we blow it that he's going to come in my office. He's going, really, Ben? You're the pastor of this church? Seriously? You did this again? He doesn't. He says, he says, Thomas, come here. Look, it's right here. It's right here. And I, I just see the heart of Christ. And so many people make him out to be this God that's just going to pounce you for the moment you make him out. Boom! Drag him out next. That's not who God is. If I can convey that to you, God is so loving. And he says, Thomas, come here. Come here. Uh, Thomas, why weren't you with the disciples last week? Don't you hear my instructions before I die, Thomas? What's your problem? Can we replace Thomas with somebody else? Is this dude, this dude's a doubt. No, 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 no. He says, reach your finger here. He says, Thomas, don't be unbelieving, but be believing. Look at Thomas's reaction. And Thomas answered, to, said to him, my Lord and my God. Now, this is very profound, guys. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Jesus comes in the next Sunday and immediately says, peace to you. And without another word, he goes straight to Thomas. Here's what I love. I love that when we doubt in our hearts, Jesus moves past the doubt to reach the heart. Jesus' statement resounds to us as well, does it not? Because he says what? Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. Now, I want you to underline this. Why? Because I want you to note Thomas's response. This is the first mention of all the disciples of Jesus being Lord and God. 
right here. Thomas looks at him and says, my Lord and my God. First mention. This is an incredible, incredible response to someone who's believing. Think about it, guys. Think about it. My Lord and my God. Up in this point, he's been the Messiah. He's been Yahshua. He's been showing us the Father. And Thomas goes, you're both Lord and God. Uh, but Ben, I've heard some skeptics say that uh, Jesus wasn't God and, and you know, he was a smaller God. No, no, no. Listen, he was fully God and fully man. That's why we got to put our faith and trust in him. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Guys, that's a verse you want to underline. Underline verse 29, highlight it. Why? Because Jesus just blessed you. He just blessed you. And I looked at the word blessed, and it's, oh, how happy and secure and, and just blessed. Why? Because none of us have seen Jesus physically, have we? We've seen him in the lives of others. We've seen him in a sunrise. We've seen him in a sunset. We've seen him in a, on a cloud. We've seen him in a rainbow after a, 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 a nice downpour. But we've never seen him physically. And he says, but because you guys believe, he says, you're blessed. You're blessed. Thomas, now listen, I'm all, I love being part of this group that, that hasn't seen Jesus but, but is blessed. But I think, I still would like to see him, you know. <laughs> I just, Lord, can I be double blessed? Could... But uh, Jesus, Jesus, you're blessed. You're blessed because you haven't seen him and you believe. So how do you believe? By faith. Do you really believe? I mean, I mean, here's again. Let's let's uh, let's close our study. Let's close our study, and. Uh, with a simply profound question. I think the worship team is going to come back up and do a song, but let me just do this. Let me ask you this question. And I said before, do you believe? Okay, but listen, do you really believe? Why? Because the Greek word is different than what we've been taught through the ages. You go, what is it? The Greek word for believe, it's made up of three Greek words. It's pisteo, to have faith in, in respect to a person, to entrust. That's what you want to do. The other word is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, and it means you're persuaded to have reliance upon Christ for salvation. So first and foremost, guys, you have faith, you believe in Jesus, and then you have your reliance is upon Jesus to be saved, nobody else. Believe doesn't mean your heritage, your religion, your background, your ethnicity, whatever it is. It says you, have, you don't believe in any of that to get saved. You only believe in Jesus. And the last one is pitheo, to be convinced with confidence. I go to Sister Lisa and say, how do I know you're saved, Lisa? And Lisa says, with confidence, because Jesus is my Savior. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now, I, I could argue with her all day long, but with confidence, she goes, you're not going to get me to doubt. I know, my God. 
I go to Amanda and say, Amanda, tell me, why do you? Because I love Jesus. Are you sure? Because you grew up a certain religion. You know, might be Baptist. You might be whatever it might be. And she goes, that's not it. Because it's not about religion. It's about a relationship I have with Jesus. And I believe that. And I say, so, Sister Lisa, Sister Amanda, Christianity makes you perfect? You say, no, we're far from perfect. God sees me as perfect. Can I get an amen? amen? Because he sees his son. That's what I'm convinced about. And so the question again, do you really believe? Do you really, are you, do you have faith in, beyond a shadow of a doubt, in Jesus? Are you persuaded? I am relying upon Christ for my salvation, and I have the utmost confidence that I'm going to be saved. I don't know how people take their final breath without Jesus. Because there's nothing that I could do. Listen, I've been your pastor for 15 years. And I could not sit there and go, well, Lord, I've been the pastor. And that that bought me a ticket to heaven, right? I mean, there's nothing. My confidence has to be in you, Jesus. I am nothing. You are everything. So what if some of us are doubting today? What if some of us still struggle with doubt? You know what I say? Welcome to the family. Maybe you might be here and say, I don't know, Ben. I've heard this before and I'm still a little skeptical. Well, I have some good news for you. Jesus loves skeptics. He loves doubters. Thomas, right? Thomas, he was the first skeptic. I don't believe. The disciples. But I got to love Thomas. Even though he's going through eternity as known as Doubting Thomas, guess what? He was honest, and yet he was a skeptical, skeptical man. And Jesus loved him enough and set him free. I, too, was a skeptic and a doubter about Christ for many years. I grew up very religious. And I remember thinking, this Christian thing won't work for me. I belong to a very long religious tradition. And I actually said, Christ could never change a person like me. But he did. Why? Because Jesus is an expert at changing skeptics into believers. In fact, it's been said that skepticism, doubting, is the first step to belief. So my prayer is not that you've come to a church and not that you have a label as Christian, but that you believe. That you believe. Don't be unbelieving. Be believing. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 
or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.